caviar is so, uh, I would say for me, for us, for our, for Polanco, is very personal. The most proud I am is that we could make what most of the people never believed that we, that we could. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The history of caviar begins not with the cured eggs themselves, but with the fish from which they come, the sturgeon. Sturgeon are members of a family of fish from an ancient lineage of bony fish that coexisted with dinosaurs. Humankind has been enjoying the fruits of the sturgeon for over 250 million years. Caviar consumption is increasing worldwide. With the definitive shift from wild to farmed caviar, the global supply and quality is at an all-time high. With the recent advances in sturgeon aquaculture and the expansion of luxury consumers, there remains vast potential in the category. The luxury market, however, whilst it can be extremely lucrative, can also be fickle. As consumers become more knowledgeable about caviar, they also become more demanding. As the caviar market matures, producers such as Fecundo Marquez and his Polanco Caviar Company, with their commitment to quality of both the fish, the caviar, and their relationships across the world of food, the future looks as bright as a freshly opened tin of beluga. First attempts at farming occurred. Within 20 years, farmed caviar was successfully marketed and with ever-increasing quality. Fagundo Marquez, a native Uruguayan, is the founder and CEO of one of the world's most interesting and now large caviar producers, Palenco. Well, hello, my name is Facundo Marquez. I'm from Uruguay, from Caviar Polanco. Um, and well, I founded the company 12 years ago and I never thought I was, I was going to finish producing caviar in my, in my life. Uh, but that, this goes to um, several years ago when I got married uh, and we moved to Brazil because I was w- working, I was working at that time with an, another another company, which um, and I was traveling quite quite a lot. So after two years being there in Brazil and traveling, my wife staying in Brazil, we decided that it was time to go back to to Uruguay, but we wanted to do something different. Uh, and traveling, I saw that aquaculture in the world was 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 growing. Uruguay have, has a lot of um, very good conditions for for aquaculture. So I finally ended ended contacting a Russian, a Russian who used to deal with with the aquaculture business. So I invited him to come to Uruguay, and when this Russian expert came to Uruguay, the first thing he, he, he told me at that time was, well, this is perfect for sturgeons. This was back in 2008. And well, that's, the, that's how the, the story began, let's put it that way, with a Russian in Uruguay telling me that sturgeons were uh, fantastic to grow in Uruguay. The connection between a country at the bottom of South America and Russian sturgeon is as fascinating as it seems almost obvious. The wet, green countryside and ample supply of clean, cold water make it an ideal environment for farming the fabled fish. Well, Uruguay is a very small country there in South America. 
and as a very small country and very, I would say, open to the world, uh, we have very good relation as a country with everybody. One of these these countries that we that we used to have good relation was the Russia and also the the the, the in fact the Soviet Union many many years before before the the, the Soviet Union collapsed let's put it that way. Uh, what happened is Sturgeons were originally uh, were originally from the Caspian Sea. The Caspian Sea it was surrounded by the Soviet Union uh, and Iran basically and that's why today you know some people thinking caviar and thinking Iran or, or, or Russia but what happened is when the the, the, the caviar start to to be like a more trendy in the world and and, and more I would say more more people's de- demanding uh, the fishing of sturgeons at the same time start to to rise and the sturgeons started to to disappear. So the Soviet Union sent a, or asked a few uh, sci- scientists to study in which parts of the world the, the sturgeons were uh, could be good to to raise. And that study um, tells that one of the best countries to raise sturgeons was Uruguay. At that time, as I mentioned, Uruguay and, and the Soviet Union had good re- commercial relations. In fact, Soviet Union used the Uruguayan port as a hub for their fleet, the Soviet Union fleet of the South. So there was a lot of Soviet Union scientific and, and, and uh, you know, the ports and information coming and going. And, and this, this um, this, I would say, report uh, gets to some Uruguayan hands, but the problem was that the Soviet Union didn't let the experts go go out from Soviet Union to teach or to communicate, let's say, the know-how of how to raise sturgeons to, to, to others, because it was like a, let's say, a jewel, you know, sturgeons, caviar, like a jewel of the Soviet uh, Union empire, something like that. So they didn't let the, 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 these experts go out. But when the Soviet Union collapsed, the first experts start, started to go out the country. Some went to France, some went to uh, Bulgaria, some went to Italy, another went to Israel. And one of those experts finally ended up in, in Uruguay. <laughs> That's how the story, the story began. So we have a, a lot of connections with, with Russia. And, well, the, 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 the main thing is that um, we, have to, we have to build first all the farm and, and get the first fertilized eggs of sturgeons from Astrakhan. In the which is a very famous city for for sturgeon in the Caspian Sea, and that's how the, the story began <laughs> there with us and and, and and Russia. It's a, a long but interesting to- story. <laughs> in a country known for its volcanic soil and incredible air and water purity, the Palenco farm is located in the Estero del Plata, in the waters of Rio Negro. These waters of the Rio Negro get cold in winter and temperate in summer. 
perfect for farming sturgeon. We are we are located in a very uh, small uh, village called in the middle of Uruguay called San Gregorio de Polanco. That's why our, our caveat today is named uh, Polanco. So it's a traditionally it's it's, it's it's a village that is surrounded by by water. It's like a small peninsula there. Two thousand people live. They are very. Um, they used to to work a lot with fishes because they are surrounded by water. And when we when with this Russian years ago, when we start traveling around Uruguay because we didn't know where we were going to to build the farm, so we went all around Uruguay and we found out that the best place was in this little village in the middle of, of Uruguay. And that's also how the story began there in San Gregorio de Polanco. When you raise sturgeons, to be sure that the water is of good quality, that you have enough, let's say, deep, deep in, the, in, in the river, so that uh, if you have some, uh, not so much rain or so whatever, you are not in, in a risk. Uh, in not, as it is a, a peninsula, the river there, it makes like a kind of a of a of a turn, so the current is not so direct, uh, because if not, it could be more difficult to manage all the the, the cages there in, in the river, and well, the the the, the temperature also it's um, I would say that's in 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 Uruguay the temperature we don't ha- we don't have like very high uh, temperatures either neither uh, or warm or cold. But it's basically because of that the, the water was was of good quality, in good in good quantity, good good deepness of the of the river, and and the people there. Another very important thing is this, this is a tough work being in a in a aquaculture sturgeon farm and dealing with storms in the water, and the people there were used to work with with fish and they are surrounded by water, so they are very tough tough people that they know how to deal with with fishes. That was also very important for us. Starting a new industry can be challenging, requiring a combination of research, hard work and commitment. The story of Polanco is one such story. Well, before starting the the farm, we we had to like uh, put a project in place. Building a sturgeon farm in Uruguay, as you can imagine, is not not easy because uh, there are no. I would say we had to import everything from different different places. We have to to build this this project, which would take years then of of investment. Which are, this is not small investments. You have to also have a lot of patience. So I also uh, started to visit some people that could um, come come with me. Let's put that way in 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 back back me in in the in the in the project. So that also takes takes uh, time. Once we have all that in in, in place, um, we started traveling to start buying all the technologies for all the technology for the for the raising of of. Of the sturgeon, so we traveled with this Russian expert. We traveled to Russia, where we bought some. There are some some equipment. We traveled to Latvia. We traveled to Ukraine. 
we traveled to China, we traveled to Chile, <laughs> so getting all things things together. So that that was also quite a big ex experience. And when we ended um, putting it all together, it took us, let's say, one year, more or less. And the first, and then once you have all set there in the farm, the first thing you have to, to do is bring the fertilized eggs. And for that, it was also quite a big story because bringing fertilized eggs from Russia, uh, you need more or less 40 hours to be sure that the, all the fertilized eggs are, are not dead when they arrive. Uh, so, well, that was also a big, big uh, issue that we have to, to manage. In fact, the first import of eggs was in February 2011. That was our first import of fertilized eggs. When they arrived and after two years of, of working, all the, the eggs were dead. <laughs> so that's how the story began with all our first eggs was, were dead. So at that point, I, I well, where, where are we standing now? <laughs> all we have done and all the, 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 the eggs are dead. Well, we did some, some, some more homework, some more learns. And one month later, we, we took another batch of, of fertilized eggs and that went well. So that's how the, the story with the stoges already there in the farming, that, that was back in February 2011. Innovation can be a story of trial and error with perseverance, an essential ingredient to be successful. Well, stoges take a long time. First, the, the process is you, we take, uh, we take the, the, the fertilized eggs to, to the farm. Then we, we put them in, in, incub in incubators there, in special incubators that we brought from, 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 from Russia. Then the, the stojos are born and we have to wait the first big, let's say big, um, big step there is after two years, because after two years you can sex the males and the females, because up to then you, you don't know which stojos are females and which are eggs. And you want the females to get the, the to give the, the eggs for, for, for the caviar. So we just uh, choose the best males and older and and the males there, all the rest of the males, which is around 50% of what of what we have, we we sold it as as meat, and the females continue the their, their process. We the the how long it takes depends on the species. You, you raise. In our case, we are raising two, two main, our two main species are Asipenser baeri, which is the, which is commonly known as Siberians, Sturgeons, and Asipenser geldenstati, which are commonly known as um, Russian Sturgeons from what the, you get the Ocetra. In the case of Siberian, the first time they ovulate, or let's say an average of, of when they ovulate is around six years. So we have to, to wait six years until their first ovulation is the first time they, they, they produce their, their eggs. 
and that's the time we harvest because to get the those eggs in the perfect moment when the eggs are bigger and the membrane me, membrane and, oh, and and texture of that egg is in the best moment the only way to get it is you have to sacrifice the eggs that's the traditional way uh, to do it so yes we have to wait six seven years to get uh, that first uh, batch of eggs in the case of Siberian and between seven, eight, nine years in the case of the Ocetra. So it's a long journey. Farming sturgeon to produce caviar is no quick process. It takes years just to grow the strong, healthy fish who can produce high quality eggs, the essential ingredient for any good caviar. To succeed in caviar production after years of nurturing the fish must be a great relief to the farmer. Well, how did we feel? You know, uh, people were all of the of the of the workers. In fact, I would say almost all of them still uh, are from the beginning from from us. The first harvest after six years of harvesting of uh, raising them, they were all crying. You know, it was yeah because they were not used to after six years of raising sturgeon, and then you have to sacrifice them for to get in the, the egg so uh, it was uh, at that moment you know today sometimes you know we we think um, in all what sometimes we think in all what what we have done at that moment we were just thinking in okay now we have the the, the eggs we have the caviar and we were starting to think it next step we it was now we are going to sell them <laughs> So we didn't have time, you know, although you have to wait a, a lot of, of, of years until you don't have it, nobody wants to, to buy you because they don't have any clue on how it was going to, to be. The good thing that, that at that point we were already working with some French also, and, and we realized that our caviar was, was very, very nice. So, but well, the, we, you know, use. We didn't have time to celebrate. We just continue. <laughs> Very proud, I would say, after so many, so many years, and we can get the, the, the caviar. And until then, we didn't know how it was going to, to be because you can do everything, wait six, seven, eight years, and then you have a product that you are that not proud of it. But the, the thing is that it went very, very nice. And as far as the first samples that we sent, we just sold out. So we were very, very proud. But again, this is, this is a long, long journey. And you know, you keep looking forward. Farming healthy fish, which produce high quality eggs, is only a small part of the story of caviar production, which requires a high level of precision handling from the fish to the pack to the plate. The first thing is detecting the best moment to obtain the, the egg. And we do that through uh, ultrasound. So we have to uh, check female by female through uh, ultrasound, uh, like the, 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 the pregnancy, you know, one by one. And see the, when we see that this is the, the perfect moment, we take that uh, all those stogens to the, uh, the beginning of, of, the, of the process where we take those those eggs then those eggs are clean only by by water we don't touch the eggs 
you only clean it with with water that's why also very important that the the eggs what we say the, you get the eggs from the gonad of the female so you want a gonad with a, a less a fat possible because with as if the gonad has less fat you need less water to clean it and if you use less water to clean it you have you don't affect too much the texture of the of the egg so the as you know everything has to to is is is, is related and also the impo- very important to obtain a less fatty gonad which is which comes from a less fatty sturgeon the sturgeon needs to be in a environment that can first of all good feed and second one in a good environment that keep us strength and the fact is that raising sturgeons in the river keep the sturgeons swimming every day against the current and as they swim and swim every day they are strong and less fatty so with less fat it gives a less fat gonad and and a good egg to start the process so we get those eggs we clean it with 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 water and basically then we we added salt in a percentage that uh, that depends on 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 each farm and, and on each again on each terroir uh, we add uh, 3.5 percent usually it's a 3.5 percent of salt in our case we use salt from the andes in the in south america mine pure salt from the andes so we try also to give a, 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 a regional regional tasting for all our all our caviar with this special salt and then uh, once the the we mix with with the salt we put it in what we call mother tins original tins these are big today are pla- used to be a metal today are plastic plastic thing big of one kilo and a half or one kilo these big plastic things with are called mother tins have very little holes because what happens is through that through those holes in the tins very small holes oxygen gets into the caviar and start what we what is called the maturating process because caviar is a an alive an alive product so it keeps evolving evolving like could be a cheese or a wine so we keep it there for for some months for 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 maturation until in the case for example of australia we send it here in in those mother tins and our partners here in australia which which are yara valley um, caviar which is an, another story that we can also then later tell they repack just before delivering so keeping the caviar in those mother tins just until the customers here in australia receive it is a huge huge advantage because the quality can be keep as perfect as possible until the last last minute of delivery okay, so once you repack these are small uh, metal tins or aluminium aluminium tins vacuum so once they are repacked there you cut the the maturation because you take all the oxygen in and from there on yes we we, we sell it there in the market best temperature to keep the the caviar is between 
minus minus three centigrees grados Celsius degrees and plus uh, three or four Celsius centigrees. Uh, that's the best temperature to keep them for, for, for maturation. Now, there is no problem if you're going to keep for a few weeks or even a, a few months in up to plus seven, uh, which is more or less the fridges that we have at home or, or in, many, in many restaurants or, or shops. So that's, that's not a problem. That's the best, the best way to, to keep it. So it's between minus three and plus seven. That's, that's the range that we, we, we recommend. Of course, it's very fragile because we don't use any, any preservative, just salt. So the cold chain should never be cut. Producing fine caviar has become an art, driven in part by the nuances of flavours and textures demanded by gourmands. As the quality of caviar has improved, so too has the subtle art of tasting, designed to extract and identify the best culinary experience. And just like wine, different markets have differing preferences. I would say that when, when we taste a when we taste a caviar, and remember we are just tasting the product, and for us it's not just the product. Remember, in a tin, perhaps there's seven, eight, nine, or ten years of processing. So for us it's also very, very important where it's coming from, the origin, uh, certifications, be sure what we, are, what we are having. So that's why we always recommend customers to understand where it's coming from knowing where it's coming from because that's the first the first thing to to know before you taste the caviar and then when you go strictly to the product we mainly look for uh, i would say four main characteristics uh, which are basically the taste the size of the egg the color of the of the caviar and the texture of the caviar for us for, for me personally, and I and I'm sure for most of the of the people that are more used to to the caviar, for us the more the most important thing is the taste, okay, and then the the texture. In terms of of taste, we look for a caviar with a, enough, let's say, oil and an oily caviar, because that's the way it can remains. In the in, in 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 the mouth for a long a long a, a longer time like a long mouth like in the wine you look there for a for a good caviar remains nicely in 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 your mouth so you look for a an oily an oily caviar uh, not tasting not tasting as fish but tasting as 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 as, as butter as as nut those kind of uh, sometimes of chocolate you start finding. Uh, New, new, new flavors also depends on the maturation because a very fresh caviar, let's say a caviar of one, two, three, even three months, is what we call a quite young caviar or fresh caviar. And the real complexity of the caviar starts af after that. Okay, so once the caviar is more mature, and that's and that you know when you when you taste it. It has much more flavors and much more complexity. So for us, number one, flavor. But we also understand that in the market, most of the people don't know about caviar. They are just getting into caviar. The, the caviar consumption is growing worldwide. So many 
people are just beginning to to understand caviar and learning about caviar. So the taste they don't really know at the beginning how to, what's good or, or what or, or what not because they don't have any you know any 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 previous uh, experience. So also size and and color is important because it's the first connection with the, with with the caviar so for customers new customers size and color is also also important and in the texture we want a caviar and i, I talk a little bit then about the the, the 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 color but in the texture we look for a caviar which is caviar should be soft but enough firmness to fill each egg independently when you taste it when you push the caviar with your mouth on to your palate, you need to, to feel that independence of, of the eggs, not all the eggs like mixed mix together, but also in a, a soft texture. So it's very specific what, 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 what we look for. And in terms of the color, um, they're not good or, or, or better color than others. It's, for example, I, I, I'll, I'll let you know an example. Russians, the beluga, which is like the most uh, famous caviar, which today in the market you cannot uh, find because what you can find usually are hybrids between the, the, a male beluga and a male and a female of other species, but they sell it as, as, as beluga, but well, that's another story. The, the beluga color is usually light gray, light gray. So Russians like caviars of gray and light grays because they, they, they make the relation to, to the belugas. In the case, for example, of Japan, they like black caviar because they say this is black caviar, it should be black. But there are now other, other markets that they like lighter colors because they are most uh, uncommon. Uh, so they, 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 they value more the, the light, lighter colors. Uh, so that's, that's more or less in terms of how we eval evaluate the caviars depending on the markets because there are markets with more experience in, 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 in caviar and let's say in those, in those markets probably they like a more mature caviar in new, new countries uh, or people where, or where the caviar is quite new like, like in Australia. Uh, people we, or we recommend to start from fresh fresh caviars and then start moving on for more mature caviar once they understand how they, how, they, how they taste. COVID had a dramatic effect on the world of food, no more so than in the world of luxury food. For a business that is projecting forecasts seven to 10 years into the future, the pandemic posed issues for the caviar industry like no other part of the world of food. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about the last years also because uh, the history also changed in this in this last two three years with the COVID situation. Caviar um, <clears throat> business takes a lot of a lot of time. So although the demand today is very strong, you cannot just uh, produce more caviar from one day to to another. Uh, so it's, you have to look many years. Uh, it, not next year, not two years, not three years. We need to look for eight, nine, ten years. And that's 
we don't know what's going to happen next month in this world. So imagining <laughs> in, in so many years. So we have to be very, very careful. <clears throat> and today we're in a moment where, yes, the, the caviar has been growing for, I would say, several reasons. One of the, one of the reasons is because the Chinese get into the, the production of caviar. They, ten years, let's say, 10 years ago, or more than 10 years, there were no, no Chinese caviar in the market. And in a few years, uh, Chinese caviar flooded the, the, <laughs> the market. So what happens there was uh, this I'm talking about probably 10, 8 years ago. So what happened is the offer from one moment to another one was uh, much, much more than the, than the demand at that, at that point. So prices start to uh, lower lower down uh, so when the price as you may imagine start coming down some new customers starts getting in uh, that process take a, a few years and i would say just before the 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 covid the pandemic we were almost in i would say in, in equilibrium and the demand was growing the offer was quite quite stable and then the covid the covid uh, appeared. This was March 2020, and from one day to another one, customers just start calling me and says, "Facundo, stop deliveries. <laughs> Not send me half or send me. It was stop deliveries. Everything is closed." Uh, so at that moment, I say, "Okay, what are we going to do?" Because nobody was knowing what was happening. This was, so we, it took us March, April. We decided at that point to reduce the production because we didn't know what was going to, to happen. And, and caviar, you can keep caviar for only one year, let's say, and, and that's the shelf life we, we, we like to use. Uh, so for many months, we decided not, not to produce. In mid-2020, consumption start to move a little bit again that's because restaurants started to to open uh, with half their, their their staff or whatever deliveries started to to work during the, the the pandemic hotels were still not opening airlines started a little bit to 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 open again cruise lines were not were still still closed but what amazingly what what happened or not amazingly something that we never predicted was that at the end of the 2020, caviar consumption explodes. And we didn't understand at the beginning why, now we, now we know, and that's because people was tired of being, you know, uh, at home, they couldn't travel, they couldn't uh, go out, so they just decided to enjoy life. <laughs> and, and they have money because they didn't, they didn't have where to, to spend it. So they say, okay, uh, let's start enjoying life and they start asking for good champagne caviar and the demand exploded so that took us to uh sold out of caviar we sold out all the stocks everything what, what we had that was at the end of 2020 and that same thing i would say happened for to most of the of the caviar farms nobody expected three months before i was talking with customers and they said oh, i don't know what's going to happen i don't know and at the end of the year everybody was calling was calling send caviar send caviar nobody 
predicted. So I would say from uh, the end of 2020 and up to today, we are still running after the, the demand because uh, we still couldn't have the, the time. We and all the other farms in the world, uh, we couldn't uh, keep the, the, the stocks, uh, rebuild the stock because you are, we are now like producing and, 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 and selling. It's, 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 it's crazy. I would say today the restriction is the production and not, not the demand. And with, with new countries also uh, getting in, because as I mentioned, when the price started to went, went down and, and there was more offer of caviar, farms started to go out to sell directly to, to new, new countries to diversify production. So Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, countries never consumed caviar before and started asking for caviar. Latin America, Central America, uh, new new destinations. So I would say caviar now is more democratic. Let's put it that way than than, than several years years ago. But we are still in like in a in a complex moment, the, the, the growing. But it takes takes time to to recover again the, the production. As the world awakens to the wonders of caviar, so too have producers become excited about the category. The current geopolitical issues relating to Russia, however, has thrown some uncertainty over both the supply and demand for caviar. In the, in the caviar business, you have so many things happening and, and exporting to so many countries and, and, and having so many different stories and so many different uh, things happening. Like, I tell you one, just very, very, the thing with the, the invasion of Russia to, to Ukraine. That for us was a big hit because all the meat for us, uh, we were exporting to, to Russia and we built relations with Russia for many, many years. So for us was, was you know, how, how things in this world change so, so fast and so unexpected. So sometimes, you know, we don't have time to think some I, I know so we have so much work and so much things happening that sometimes I, I, I really don't know when we I look you know 10 years 10 years before and we were trying to do something different and and we look up today and we are again in so many countries that I don't know I think it was uh, the, the passion this is basically on, on, on passion, family is also very important because they always support you in these you know, long, long trips, long, very, very far away from home for many, many, many days. Uh, so I don't know, I have so, so many stories, <laughs> so many things that happen. That was a, it's the, the whole journey, the whole journey, and I'm still, I'm still sure we are just at the middle of this journey. So it's still a lot of things to do. Running a family business, which requires a long-term vision, both in production and sales, demands the development of strong relationships at every stage from water to plate. In Australia, Palanco's agents, Yarra Valley Caviar, share the same family values and commitment to quality. Caviar is so, uh, I would say for me, for us, for our, for Polanco, is very personal. 
we 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 are here in a in a caviar business, which is family business. Today, I founded the, the company. My 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 family is, is involved, so I don't think this as a just. I'm here for a while. I'm looking for for many many years, and for that you have to build long term relations. So, <clears throat> I always say that the, our best markets is when you find someone that really share values with you like what happens with us here with Yarra Valley Caviar in, in, in Australia we share same values we are both producers so traveling going to to trade shows and trying to find the the correct the correct partner it takes a lot of years a lot of um, a lot of how do you say work satisfactions and not satisfactions uh, but well, what we can say is after after quite a few years, we are in almost 40, 40 countries around the world. The most proud, I would say, that is something that uh, when I started, everybody was, say, was saying that I was crazy. Uh, <laughs> racing star jumps in Uruguay, producing caviar to export from Uruguay, the other part of the world in South America. Uh, so I would say the the the, the proudest, the, the most proud I am is is that we could make what most of the people never believe that we that we could, uh, and that has many 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 factors and many people involved, not just in Polanco but all over all over the world. But that I would say is what we feel more proud about it. Caviar consumption is increasing worldwide. With the definitive shift from wild to farmed caviar, the global supply and quality is at an all-time high. With the recent advances in sturgeon aquaculture and the expansion of luxury consumers, there remains vast potential in the category. The luxury market, however, whilst it can be extremely lucrative, can also be fickle. As consumers become more knowledgeable about caviar, they also become more demanding. As the caviar market matures, producers such as Fecundo Marquez and his Palenco Caviar Company, with their commitment to quality of both the fish, the caviar, and their relationships across the world of food, the future looks as bright as a freshly opened tin of beluga. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.